You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. All right. How many have enjoyed the series so far on spiritual climates? All right. How many remember what the first one was? Come on, shout it out if you remember. Expectation, all right. Those sitting on the front row remember. <laughs> I just indicted everybody else. I'm just teasing you. All right. How about the second? Yeah, okay. Y'all got that one really good. That was really good, wasn't it? Amen. So repentance. So expectation, of course, we talked about expectation. Expectation can pull upon a gift. But it's very possible to pull upon that gift and have expectation by which miracles flow and everything. And as charismatics and Pentecostals, we love the gifts uh, that God gives and the supernatural and all the wonderful things. But it's possible to have these things and not have a repentant heart. And of course, we saw Jesus's mindset with regards to it. Uh, I like what one preacher said. He said, um, healing, for example, is the dinner bell to salvation. And so at the end of the day, it's possible that you experience as well as see the power of God in manifestation. But the end result, according to Jesus, is that he wants people to come to repentance. To, for, for you to know that he is a God who is truly involved and loves you. And it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. And how many know that Jesus' ministry was a demonstration of showing goodness, uh, setting people free? And we kind of, it's been contextual, and I've been trying to bring you back to what a Hebrew 2,000 years ago, uh, being an ancient, and not standing in their shoes, but standing in their sandals, if you will, uh, and how it's different from American culture in the importance of having repentance in our life, and not just repentance, but living a life of repentance. Come on, are you here? Sometimes in American Christianity, we go, ah, yeah, I got saved, and AKA, you're saying that you repented, you know, 20 years ago. Well, but have you been living a repentant lifestyle? Are you living a life of apology and giving defense and, and coming before God and asking for continual transformation within our life, or was it just a transmission, uh, transmission? Was it a transformation that came when you were saved? It's got to go beyond that. It's a walk with Jesus, not just you stood at an altar 20 years ago. Come on, are you here? I'm starting to preach better than you responded. Amen. Uh, So this third one that we want to deal with is honor. Honor is what creates a spiritual climate, just like expectation creates a spiritual climate, as well as having a repentant heart creates a spiritual climate. We talked about spiritual climates, and again, it was probably in the late 80s and the early 90s in which what was there was actually within the wider Christendom what was called the spiritual warfare movement, and they always emphasize about demons and spirits and principalities, powers in the air, and I agree with a lot of that stuff, but the spiritual condition, what creates a spiritual atmosphere is what's in your heart, as well as what you do not permit within your heart. And so that's where spirits are actually attached to. And so what they're attached to creates the spiritual climate. You notice those things, even uh, 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 those of us who have uh, used the example, you go into certain cities. Uh, how many know you can sense spiritual climates? You can go into Oakland at midnight and you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Versus, you know, say 10 o'clock at night walking down Los Gatos. You know, you're not going to feel on edge. There's a different spiritual climate. Come on, are you here? This is why there are certain cities that are given over to certain types of appetites and certain types of sin because certain spirits have a habitation. They feel cozy in that place. 
You know, San Francisco has a certain type of coziness because of the people, they've opened the door to certain types of spirits that have habitations within that city. You look at New York, a place more of greed, and you see high murder and different things like that. There are certain cities that are given over to certain types of sin because they've opened up the door, and there are certain spirits that have a coziness. They enjoy that, and they camp out, and they create the spiritual atmosphere that is there. You go to Bangkok, there's a certain type of a spiritual atmosphere that's there. Uh, different cities. Uh, different uh, cultures, different nations. When you go to Russia, for example, there's a certain type of a, a culture that's there. When you go to Mongolia, there's a certain type of a spiritual culture that's there. And it's not just politics, but politics also form the spiritual uh, uh, sense or the spiritual climate of a particular nation. And I think as a missionary myself, when you go into different nations, I think as a Christian, it's one of the most important and the most valuable experiences that you can have outside of biblical training. Because your value system coming from heaven, come on, are you here? You see, uh, we were, I was born in America, but I was packaged in heaven, and I was delivered to the earth. Some of you get that by next week. And so our habitation is heaven. We got to know what heaven is like. So many Christians don't know what heaven's like. Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, you can't bring something that you're unacquainted with. Some of you get that. Some of us, what happens is we become cozied up to certain spiritual climates that God wants us to recognize and actually bring a power of God and the kingdom into that particular culture. Come on, are you here? And one of the things as a missionary that I've had the opportunity, I consider it a great blessing, is being able to go to different types of spiritual climates, and I can assess them real quick. You know, and right now, before I used to do deep research on different cultures and the languages and the history, now I just go to Wikipedia and just read it real quick and then bump into a spiritual and I can assess it within about two and a half seconds. Why? Because I've done that my whole life and I can sense and determine what bondages are and what the people need to get free from and things like that. And this is all part of, I know we're here in sleepy Santa Cruz on the West Coast, but we're an international people. And more than being an international people, we are to be a people of the spirit, of the kingdom. And we got to be so acquainted with kingdom culture that when we uh, bump into spiritual cultures, we recognize where the enemy and what God wants to do in order to set people free. And everyone says... So one of those uh, uh, spiritual values that are to be inside of us is that of honor. Say honor. honor. Turn to your neighbor and say honor. honor. So you see, honor is to be part of our spiritual climate. And so we want to look at this. Of course, this is the last one. We said the climate of expectation, the climate of repentance. Lastly, the climate of honor. We talked about John the Baptist, and here in the book of uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, we want to show you honor uh, with respect to John the Baptist, uh, which was the greatest of the prophets. And this was his message, after me. Say, after me. After me. Watch this. Comes the, uh, the one more powerful than I. Now, take note here. He's very powerful. Everybody looks to him. I showed you last week that actually people were looking at him, wondering, is he actually the Messiah? That's how powerful he was. And I want you to notice the humility and in so doing the expression of honor that he had in humbling himself and not taking on that position. For when the people want to esteem him saying, are you indeed the Messiah? He could say, oh yeah, that's me. But notice he never stepped up into that position. In fact, he understood. In fact, when the meetings of Jesus were getting bigger, his disciples said, hey, by the way, this guy called Jesus, he's actually baptizing more people than you are. Do you know what his response was? Well, his response was not, hey, let's go find out what his, 
his, how he does it, how he organizes his meetings. Let's go in there and find out what he has to do. Just go into the church and just sit in the back row and find out everything that he's doing. He didn't say that. He goes, he must increase, I must decrease. He understood his position within the kingdom and did not have a cultural apparatus by which he wanted to just learn from Jesus, how did you build your crowds? Do you see what I'm saying? But here in the church, we would send people in there and find out why, what's going on. How does he lead? How does he manage? How does he build the crowds that he's having? Not so with him. He understood he had a place, uh, a place to play in a kingdom perspective, that he was one to make the crooked path straight. And he stayed, if you will, within his lane. So many Christians, they go outside of their lane. And they try to get in things that are not to be part of their kingdom business. And so John the Baptist showed great humility, saying, nope, this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm called to do. I'm here. Just like me, as a pastor here in Santa Cruz, this is my domain. I don't sit there and begin to speak beyond what God has given me in authority, which includes uh, here being a pastor of Freedom House. So notice it says, after me comes the one more powerful than I am, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, you have to understand, he's saying a mouthful right here that you may not understand. This is something that's actually reserved for a base slave. So all the people actually look at this John the Baptist as the greatest of the, of the prophets, and by his own admission, he says, I, this man is so powerful, I'm not even worthy to become his base slave. That's how powerful he was. And in so doing, the expression of his humility was to bring honor to Jesus. So this is humility. There's a lot of false humility, but how do you know the difference between false humility and true humility? True humility is to bring honor. False humility actually just puts a spotlight on yourself, on your own self-righteousness. Oh, look at me. Look how low I am. Look how, you know, I can grovel myself. That's the problem. You want everybody to look at you. You don't want them to look at somebody. That's where false humility is different than true humility. Does true humility actually exalt the person of Jesus, or does it just exalt you in your lowliness, and you want everybody to see your piety rather than to look at his greatness? Okay? And so we have to understand that John the Baptist here is actually exalting and bringing honor. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. They would have all understood that. They came out to the Jordan. They were dipped. To baptize means to dip underwater, to be fully immersed, and to come out. Notice this. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This had to be mind-blowing to them. In other words, this isn't something natural that I'm dipping you in. He's going to dip you into something that which is spiritual, that which is divine. This would have been completely mind-blowing to those who are listening to what he had to say. How powerful is this man that him who we consider to be a prophet, who we even think could potentially be the Messiah, is dipping us in natural water. He's saying he's not even worthy to be a base slave. This would have prepared the way, making the crooked path straight, so that when Jesus begins to walk, how many know they would have literally stooped and bowed down in great honor because John the Baptist, who they reckon greater than themselves, he himself, by his own admissions, and says, I'm not even worthy to become his base slave. There would have been great, great honor that created a spiritual climate by which miracles would have flowed because of the honor that the people would have showed Jesus. And everyone says, notice this in John chapter four, verse 39, 
says many of the Samaritans from the town believed him because of the woman's to- uh, uh, testimony. What was this? This was the uh, this was the testimony of the woman at the well there in John chapter four. If you remember, there was a little bit of a squirmish that was there. Let me just give you a little bit of a context that was here. We know that the woman who came from the Samaritan village, she would have took upon the theology as well as the culture of the Samaritans themselves. And of course, when Jesus uh, was beginning to talk about spiritual things, she wanted to get into a debate with him. Well, you Jews say this, us Samaritans, you know, with regards to worship in the mountain and the temple and that whole thing. Jesus, by a gift, ends up reading her mail. And then from that, she goes and gives testimony after she comes to a place of humility and gives honor and says, also give this to me myself that I may drink and I may thirst no longer. So now she goes back and she reports to the Samaritans what happened. Now, remember, who is Jesus called to? The lost sheep of Israel. The Samaritans are what I respectfully call half-breeds. They're Gentile as well as Jewish. So they're rejected by the Jews because of the Gentile blood, but they're also rejected by the Gentiles for having Jewish blood. So they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. They're not accepted by any, if you will. And so we see that this woman gives testimony about this Jew, and there was great hostility that there was between the Jews and between the Samaritans. And it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. Notice, he told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. So notice the hunger, the same hunger that was within the woman was also in the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, again, because of the cultural hostility, it shows their spiritual discernment to recognize and receive that and not become offended due to the culture that was determined at that time or the hostility that there was. Even so for ourselves in our day, we have to be very careful that we're not culturally offended by people by which God wants to bring light as well as water and supplement to us and stumble because of people's culture. And listen, is that not what the world system is doing today? Dividing up along political lines, gender lines, racial lines, every type of line that can be divided, the world system wants to bring division. And that same spirit of vision wants to come into the church and divide up the church. It should not be so said amongst us as Christians. Come on, are you here? Says he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. Notice the appeal of the Samaritans. Please stay with us compelled Jesus to stay even longer. You see, he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be filled. So Jesus, who's called to the lost sheep of Israel, is actually stayed back due to the hunger and the thirst of the Samaritans that were here. And he begins to minister even more. You see, Jesus is drawn to where there's hunger and where there's thirst. Jesus is drawn to where there's hunger and thirst. His presence comes upon those who hunger and thirst. Even within the church at large, what do we try to create? We try to create an atmosphere. This is why through my preachings, I try to provoke hunger and thirst for God. That there's always more. That the manna that you had yesterday is not sufficient for today. The manna that was sufficient for yesterday becomes maggots of today. 
and that you have to have a fresh encounter with the presence of God. It's not sufficient to just rest on what happened of what God did in the past. We thank God for what he did in the past, but there's so much more today as well as tomorrow. It was alluded to in the book of Philippians. I count all of these things as not as literally dung, as rubbish compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. Not I knew Christ, but I shall know Christ and am knowing Christ. So it's an ongoing relationship. And with your walk with him, there's a continual transformation. And everyone says, notice this. And because of his words, many more became believers. In other words, they did not just rest on the testimony of this woman that had an encounter with Jesus. You know, so many have an encounter due to other people's testimony, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. We hope that provokes a hunger and thirst. But you have to have an encounter with Jesus, with his word, and with his spirit in in order to understand even further those things that he has for you. And everyone says... So they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I want you to take note of what they said. Samaritans that were hostile towards Jews now are recognizing he's not just a great rabbi. And woman, you said he's a prophet because he prophesied and declared known things, but actually he's beyond a prophet. We reckon him he's the Savior of the world. This is the reason why Jesus stood back because of the hunger and the thirst and the great honor that was shown to him that when he was there, no, please, would you stay back? We want to show hospitality. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Hospitality is the vehicle of honor. Hospitality is the vehicle of honor. I don't have time to go through it. It's a whole subject matter that goes all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament of showing hospitality. If you were to go back to Abraham, he showed great hospitality to the three visitors, which actually was a theophany. This was before they go and they bring destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah. You will find out amongst the ancients, and by the way, this isn't just within Judeo-Christian ethics. Even in other religions, you will see that this understanding that you are to, we are to be a people of hospitality, and in showing ourselves to be a people of hospitality and showing honor, we actually show ourselves and prove ourselves to be civilized. I don't know if you're aware of this, but even the barbarians were considered uncivilized. Why? Because among strangers that came, they did not show any hospitality. So literally, even outside of Christendom, amongst the the ancients, it was understood that people who do not show hospitality, they're considered pagans and they're considered barbarians. Those who are civilized show hospitality. And this even uh, works out theologically in the New Testament. This is why in the book of Hebrews, you have the admonition. Listen, entertain strangers. Entertain, show hospitality. For in so doing, some have even entertained angels. What's this whole concept come from? It comes from the Old Testament in which Abraham actually entertained and he was entertaining angels and secured blessings through hospitality. And in so doing, it became the vehicle of honor. In American culture, we don't know how to have honor. We only know how to honor ourselves. Part of this is because of the political system. And listen, I'm not trying to bring a disparaging to our political system. Every political system has some good virtues, some more than others, others not so good, and it ends up being really bad. But at the end of the day, we got to understand that the, the kingdom value system has to transcend above political value systems. 
Some of the places overseas in which I've had the greatest miracles, I can tell you it's people that have shown great honor. And I don't say that because I want honor, but I know what honor can do on behalf of people. You know, it's kind of like the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm not looking for the gift. I'm looking for what's going to be credited to your account because he understood that through their giving, it's actually something that's spiritual. Not that I need it. God will supply whether you give or not because my source is God, not you. But he understood there's a spiritual principle that goes into effect. It's a kingdom principle that goes into effect that when you show honor, it actually opens up by which people are blessed through that hospitality becomes the vehicle of honor. And everyone says. So honor, Jesus' gift drew them. Jesus' word convinced them. Finally, through the Samaritan's thirst or honor, they kept Jesus there. I want you to think about that. They didn't reject him. If you remember the apostles, when they were going with Jesus to Jerusalem, it was probably for one of the great festivals that were there. And it says that he was steadfast going to that place. And if you remember, he wanted to stop off in the Samaritan village. And of course, the apostles wanted to do their ministry, not Jesus's ministry. How many remember that? That's when he wanted to call down fire. The apostles did. And if you remember what Jesus said, what did he say? You know not what spirit you are from. In other words, they were not operating out of the spirit of the Lord, which is what they thought they were doing. They thought they were conducting the ministry of Elijah, calling down fire. But they were actually operating out of a spirit of rejection. You reject me, I reject you, and therefore I want to murder you. I want to call down fire upon you. And that's why Jesus sits there and tells them, you don't know what spirit you're of. Jesus Whether he had this encounter at that time or not, he did not want to operate, nor did he want to legislate the apostles operating because at the point in which they do that, guess what? That becomes a stumbling block for them going to all the world in which Jesus eventually would want them to do. But if they already have this cultural mindset of offense towards the Samaritans, how many know when they sit there and they have a board meeting, they ain't going to have an evangelistic outreach in the Samaritan villages? This is why you have to be clear in your heart with all people because you never know what all people God may send you to because it might be just those you are culturally offended with. Boy, it's awfully quiet in Freedom House on the Sunday mornings. I know it's 10.08 and some of you had a cup of coffee and you needed a second one, but come on, are you here? Let's continue on. You get something out of this. Now we want to see a lack of honor. This is Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. Jesus left, the, uh, uh, left there and went to his hometown, dum, 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 accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Say amazed. amazed. Wow, this is really good. I really like this. Great sermon. Great sermon, Pastor Robert. How many know that's speaking well of? Notice this. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Now, notice this. They're asking a question, but they're asking out of criticism, not out of hunger. How do I know this? Because of what says, isn't this the carpenter? In other words, he doesn't look like a rabbi. He doesn't look like a Pharisee. He doesn't look like a Herodian. He doesn't look like a teacher of the law. How come he's not wearing the turban? How come he's not wearing the flat tree on his forehead? He doesn't look like a religious person. He's a carpenter. Like, it doesn't make sense. How could someone in this 
uh, external trapping be doing things like this? And notice this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Now listen. The news would have got out that Mary, okay, would have had a child. And she says it's the Holy Ghost that came upon her. Uh Uh-huh. Sure, we believe that one. So there was already within the family this type of a mindset. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. So in other words, there was probably not a great reputation. There were those who uh, would have received the ministry, would have believed it, but others would have said, no, she's uh, not a reputable type of a person here. So notice this. Are his sisters here with us? Watch this. And they took offense at him. And the offense that they had created the spiritual climate that was there at that time. And that's why the next verses go on to say, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown amongst his relatives and in his own home. What does that mean? That you can become so familiar with people and people become so familiar with you that they forget or do not discern the treasure within the earthen vessel because they only see the earthen vessel and not the treasure there within. Did you hear what I just said? They looked and they became too familiar. This is why there's that statement, familiarity breeds contempt. That's exactly what happened in his own hometown. We know who this guy is. He's a carpenter. There's nothing special about him. You know, I pound nails just like he does. You know, we, we, we do the same vocation. How is he any special? And notice what they were doing. They were not given honor like in other places. Listen. Bringing dishonor is not speaking evil against somebody. That is to put them down. It's simply just bringing them down to you. Did you hear what I just said? Many people think dishonor is putting somebody down. No, that's just you being wicked. That's just you being evil. Putting somebody down, talking about them, gossiping, slandering, that's putting them down. They didn't put him down. They just said, you're just like me, equal. I think they were Americans. <laughs> do we not do that all the time? We don't show honor. We don't show preference. We don't serve people in honor of them. When the scriptures talk about honor all people. Come on, are you here? Notice this. It didn't say that they began to say, you know, all these mean things towards them. It just said he's a carpenter. He's just like us. In other words, we're going to bring him down to us. And in so doing, we're dishonoring him by making him our equal. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Do you make Jesus your equal? Maybe that's the reason why you don't experience the transformation that he wants to bring within your life. Because you make him equal. Come on, are you here? It goes on to say, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, amongst his relatives, and in his own home. He could not. Say could not. Note again, it does not say he would not. It says he could not. Why? Because they created a spiritual climate that was hard against the manifestation of the power that he wanted to perform amongst them. You're the one who creates the spiritual climate by which miracles flow or they don't flow. And this is probably one of the biggest misunderstandings as well as, I believe, a theological fallacy amongst the evangelical churches because they sit there and they all make it about the sovereignty of God when it's not about the sovereignty of God. It's about human depravity. 
It says right here, he could not. That is to say he wanted to just like it, but their offended hearts, they closed it off and in so doing created a hard climate. It wasn't the devil out here. It was the devil's inside. It was the state of human depravity on the inside that resisted. And though he wanted to flow in miracle power, he could not flow in miracle power. Are you here? Jesus himself, a better discipler than you and I, one who knows how to get a breakthrough in the hardest of spiritual conditions in his own hometown could not do many mighty works because of what? Their unbelief. I didn't say it. This is what the scriptures declare with regards to Jesus's breakthrough miracles. Notice this, except lay his, and notice this. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So in other words, when Jesus bumped into this, he didn't go, oh my God, how come there's, oh God, am I not anointed anymore? Because I didn't perform the miracles that were, how come the poor people? No, he understood. No, they positioned themselves through offense to be hardened towards him. And because of that position, that's the reason why they didn't have the transformation that could come through that anointing that was upon Jesus. Why? Because of their unbelief that was created because of offense, and everyone says. Now, let's look in Luke chapter 7. Because we see that the sinners acknowledged John as well as Jesus, God. All the people, even the tax collectors, dum, dum, dum. Notice this, all the people, say all the people. And even the tax collectors, they just put that in there, a caveat there, just in case you didn't think tax collector was amongst all the people. You considered them scum of the earth, animals, dogs, all the people, even the tax collectors. Isn't that interesting? You would assume that all the people included all the tax collector, but Luke wants you to know that they're included in all the people. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. That means even the tax collectors were what? Acknowledging they heard Jesus' word and acknowledged God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. So John the Baptist, we see here that the tax collectors and the sinners were baptized as well as conceded that, yes, the words that come from Jesus, he's right. And in so doing, what did they do? They showed honor. Notice this. But the Pharisees, say the Pharisees. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So we clearly see that the Pharisees, through their rejection of it, were not baptized, nor did they come with repentance, because the scriptures declare that all that came to John the Baptist came repenting of their sins, and he baptized them. So that's the reason why. Listen, do you think that the disciples of Jesus came from the synagogue? Do you think they came amongst, from, amongst the rabbis? Amongst the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the teachers of the law? No, they were carpenters. They were tax collectors. Those who are prostitutes that supported him. They were formally prostitutes, not living in that. They had repented and turned for that. Okay, now watch this. It continues on. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. 
right? A happy song, happy feet, right? And then crying, okay? In other words, on this spectrum of emotions, we came to you from different points of view. Now watch this. For John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking, uh, eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So in other words, Jesus is speaking and saying, it doesn't matter what kind of cultural apparatus I came in, you rejected both of them, and in so doing, you rejected wisdom that comes from heaven. Wisdom expressed itself in two different ministries. I like to jokingly say that John the Baptist was like a country preacher. He's, he's, out, he's out in the desert. He's a country bumpkin. You know, the clothes that he wears, you know, he's not wearing an Armani suit. Jesus is, though. I mean, he's wearing such fine threads that even the Roman soldiers are like, hey, let's talk. We don't want to tear this thing up. That's, that's Armani. Okay? And he's, he, 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 he's, he's a city preacher. Okay, but he's going from town to town, village to village, but we see that he comes two different ways. So he comes fasting, but he comes celebrating. Everybody's celebrating Jesus. He goes to banquets. He goes to dinners. And listen, you want Jesus to come to your wedding. You want Jesus to come to your party because if you don't run, you know, you run out of wine, hey, you got the guy here. Right? You don't want John the Baptist to be there because he ain't going to do anything. In fact, he might be sniffing out. Some of you are a little tipsy here. You need to repent of drunkenness. Jesus is like, hey, where's the wine? Oh, it's out. <laughs> You're like, well, which one, which theology should I follow? But wisdom expressed itself in both. And then Jesus says to the crowds, I came to you both ways. You didn't accept either of them. You rejected both of them. And in so doing, you rejected the kingdom and what the kingdom has for you. Come on, are you here? Did you know after this, when you go to verse 36, when one of the Pharisees, this is what it says, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. You're going to have to remember this. This is Simon the Pharisee. It says, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, the scripture says. It says he said it to himself. This was the spiritual climate that was created at this Pharisee's house. Said this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So notice he devalues Jesus, does not honor him, invites him to a dinner, but does not honor him accordingly. Now watch this. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. That's his problem. He saw him as a teacher, not as a prophet. He saw him as a teacher, but not the Messiah. Saw him as a teacher, but not the Savior of the world. You're a teacher just like me. Wow. Wow. That's good. That's good. Preach it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. 
Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. And just so that you're aware, as a Pharisee who was an elite, who had means, when he invites Jesus, it would have been customary for at least somebody to wash his feet which means he did not even meet the obligation. He invited to dinner, but never actually showed hospitality and in so doing an expression of honor because it would have been customary to have your guest's feet actually washed. And sometimes this is what we do in the church. We invite Jesus to our dinner, but we don't show any hospitality and show honor to him. Isn't it good enough you're invited to my dinner? That's the problem. It's your dinner. Now watch this. Oh, it gets, it gets better than this. Watch this. Verse 45. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. In other words, she did what? She showed hospitality, and in so doing, she showed honor. And what's interesting is the culture that was created, the spiritual climate was actually hostile towards her. Because right, right. they're like, whoa, because no other, other uh, books stay what? This money could have been used for other things. I can't believe it. You're wasting all this. <laughs> and it came from his disciples, which proves that the disciples were more culturally discerning rather than spiritually discerning. And that's the problem in the church today. We got people that are more, want to be cultural leaders than spiritual leaders. Oh, that's a whole nother sermon in and of itself. Watch this. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Again, hospitality is the vehicle of honor. Jesus is invited to a dinner, but not out of hospitality. We see it was something in which a woman created hospitality, and in so doing, there was honor that was expressed to Jesus. The title in the NIV Bible, I don't know what it says in yours, reads, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. But it should read, Jesus anointed by a repentant woman. I really actually get tired of the overworked and unscriptural nature of this statement. Jesus hung out with sinners. It's not true. Jesus hung out with repentant sinners. People that came to him recognize that they were sinners. I just showed you even the tax collectors admonished. Yes, what he says is right. And they came to him and they were repentant. Yes. You hear it. I, I don't know if it was on. We were watching Netflix or Amazon. I forget what it was. And 
There wasn't a church being advertised and it says Jesus hung out with people just like us, sinners. And I'm like, that's totally unscriptural. It's not true. I understand what they're trying to do and I understand the evangelistic nature of Jesus, but make no mistake about it. Hanging out with the sinners, no, he did not as if he was in communion with them. No, he was not. It's not true. And I'm going to show you that. So this is kind of a wrong mindset. Why is this? This is a cultural Jesus. This is an American Jesus. It's not a biblical Jesus. And we're trying to create a cultural Jesus in our own image that he comes down to our level. He's just like us rather than us coming up in honor to who he is. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Dun, 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 the tax collector sitting at his tax booth. Now watch this. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And then Levi said, what are you talking about? I'm making all this money. Why would I want to uh, uh, follow this crazy cult leader? Is that what it says? No. no. What did he do? Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Yes. Jesus is not just hanging out with sinners. Sinners are repentant and hanging out with him. Yes. It's not like Jesus got down in the mud with them. He offered them, come out of the mud and be with me and I'll clean you up. But in American cultural theology, we want to make Jesus into something he's not. Like he just gets in the miry mud. No, no, no. He'll pick you up out of your mud. But in order for him to pick you up, you have to be repentant. You have to be humble. You have to show hospitality and you have to be honoring of him. He who hungers and thirsts, not he who just wallows in his mud and says, you need to come down to me. No, he'll pick you up out of your garbage. Come on, are you here? Now watch this. Continues on. Then Levi held a great banquet. Notice it's not just I'm inviting you to my dinner. I'm having a great banquet for Jesus at the house. There's a difference between inviting Jesus into your house and you throwing a great banquet for him. The Pharisee invited him to a dinner in which he was the one who is being honored. A great banquet is thrown for somebody else called Jesus. And in so doing, showing great hospitality and showing great honor. There's a difference between him coming to your dinner and you having a great banquet for him. And if I can say this, even within our own house, sometimes we invite Jesus as a dinner banquet guest, but we don't invite him as an honored guest within our heart because we like our American Jesus, not the biblical Jesus. Are you here? Is this too strong for a Sunday morning? Now watch this. He held a great banquet for Jesus at the house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Watch this. Jesus answered, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We already see at this particular place that they were already repentant. Why? Because they left everything and they fouled after him more than what the Pharisees were willing to do in their self-righteousness. So we already see that they're not sinners. They're what? Repentant sinners showing great hospitality and in so doing, expressing great honor to Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verse 13 and 14, but the tax collector, 
This is about prayer and the type of prayer that God listens to and honors. But the tax collectors, dun, 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 stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What did this sinner and tax collector do? What did he do? He began to, he stood at a distance. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, 11 through 16, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Watch this. They stood at a distance. Why did they stand at a distance? Because they didn't even consider themselves worthy to come in close proximity to a holy man. Now watch this. They stood at a distance, and he called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. He's a leper. He's unclean. He notices he's a holy man, so he's actually petitioning from a distance. And in so doing, staying at a distance, he's showing his humility. He's actually showing great honor towards Jesus. I'm not even worthy to come in proximity to who you are. And in so doing, is expressing a repentant heart. Repentance, hospitality is the vehicle by which honor was brought. And do you know what ends up happening? He ends up, Jesus tells them, go, show yourself to the priest. And as they go, they're actually healed. One man comes back. He's a Samaritan, I believe. Or a, yeah, he's a Samaritan. Actually comes back, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Interesting, before he stands at a distance, I'm not even worthy. But now that I'm cleaned, I can come in, in proximity to you because I'm now clean. But I'm not going to come to you and stand you and thank you and shake your hand or give you a hug. I'm actually going to fall down like a, like a base slave to serve you and give honor and to worship you. Falls at his feet and begins to thank him. And it says, the Bible says he came praising with a loud voice, kind of like we do here. Because we know what we've been forgiven of. Come on, are you here? comes with Allah and falls prostrate before him and begins to worship him. And Jesus is shocked. He says, wasn't there 10? Is this the Samaritan? He's the one who comes and, of course, begins to release him. This is why it's so powerful what Jesus, in closing, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When we sit there and we say, Jesus said, come unto me. Actually, you don't understand because you don't think like a Hebrew and you don't think like an, like an ancient. You think like an American. Jesus said, just come unto me. Well, why not? I should come unto him. I, he, he'd be honored to have me come in his presence. When Jesus said, come unto me, and people understood that they were unclean, they're like, what? A rabbi is telling me to come to him? When the rabbis think I'm a sinner and stay away from me? When you have in the Old Testament lepers that are supposed to shout unclean, unclean so that everybody could run away from you because you're unclean and you're a contagion. Jesus, when he says, come unto me, he's saying, I'm your vaccine. He's saying, I'm the one who can actually clean you. And it was a total upside down shifting of a paradigm culturally. A rabbi, a prophet, a holy man is telling me to come close to him. I've never heard anything like this before. So when he says, come unto me, those who came to him were repentant. Those who came to him, they came with great expectation. They came to him 
showing hospitality, throwing great banquets, giving great honor because they understood he is the savior of the world. He is the Messiah and I can be cleansed from my sin. Jesus did not just hang out with the sinners. He hung out with those who were repentant, those who showed great hospitality, those who showed great honor. You know, today in our culture today, we've just pulled down Jesus so far to make him just like us. When Jesus sits there and says, no, listen, we truly need today in our culture, John the Baptist preaching that makes the crooked path straight that afflicts hardened hearts that want to bring Jesus down. And I'm talking about in the church. I'm not even talking about outside the church in which we make them just like us. And then we wonder why we don't see the great transformation which he so eagerly wants to do because sometimes Mark chapter six, the hometown becomes the hometown of our nation in which we bring him down. We go, yeah, that's our evangelical Jesus. He's good. I got my cultural apparatus and my community that I have. And it's not life-giving. You don't see any power. There's no supernatural. People aren't getting saved. People aren't getting delivered. Devils aren't coming out of people. Chains aren't being broken. And you don't have to watch the news but for five minutes and understand that we're living in times in which we need the power of God. We need Jesus, the real biblical Jesus, not the evangelical American Jesus. And everyone says, did you get something out of that? You've been listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, FHUS.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.